Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we talk about inheriting money and the best way to treat an inheritance, as well as gifting money to children. Always a fun topic for us. Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I'm Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Dan, good to see you. Good to see you as well. You're back from a little travel yourself now. Uh, I feel like you're getting out into the world. I am getting out into the world. I got to go to a music festival that I had tickets for in 2020. It got canceled. Here we are in 2022 and finally got to cash in on on that uh, excursion. Well, that's exciting. You and I had several concerts that we were going to in 2020, That uh, some of which have gotten rescheduled and, and we got to go to one. I think the one that I was most sad about was that we were actually going to Budapest to see System of a Down, which would have been a ridiculous trip for many reasons, but uh, that was the one that I, w- I was really sad we lost. Yeah, I was pretty bummed out about that too. I-, I tell people about that and they say, well, you could still go to Budapest, but it's just not the same without System of a Down. No, yeah, it like, and I would like to go to Budapest. I'd, I'd still love to see the city and, and to see Vienna, which we were going to do as well, but it was just kind of the craziness of why we were going was what made it so exciting uh, that we were going for this like ridiculous rock concert where people were kind of like, yeah, I, I remember that band from 20 years ago. And it was like, yeah, they're still around. Yeah. My trip this go around ended with a ridiculous rock concert. Uh, Metallica capped off the the weekend and is when I learned that I might be older than I think I am because for the first time I realized that I was in a sea of tens of thousands of people really and thought oh my god like i think i need to get away from the stage oh wow watched from a fairly safe distance back there you go well so we're kicking off today's show uh we got a really thoughtful email from jeff uh and we're going to kind of pick this apart piece by piece because he addresses several things i'm going to start at the end uh because jeff shared an article that I thought was hilarious, uh, referencing our podcast on stock splits and how frustrating it can be when people are bad at fractions. Uh, and the article chronicles A&W restaurants going head-to-head with McDonald's. And the McDonald's product that they were going after was the Quarter Pounder with cheese. A&W, in their wisdom, said, we're going to release a third pound burger which is definitively larger. And people didn't buy it because they didn't understand that a third of a pound is more than a quarter of a pound. But four is bigger than three. So obviously the one fourth pound burger has got to be got to be more burger. It is not. That is the denominator, Dan. If the denominator is larger, it is not bigger. That's crazy. That is, I mean... Very much elementary school math. And the fact that, I mean, maybe I'm not as surprised as I should be, but the fact that the majority of Americans couldn't figure that one out blows my mind. But then we have conversations like we've had so many times on the phone about the stock split thing and just trying to explain 
you know, the relationship between the numerator and denominator. And then what's an expensive stock, Dan? That's the other one. Yeah. I'm looking for a stock in like the under $20 range. What that doesn't mean anything. I mean, it, it means something if all you've got is 20 bucks. That, that's, I guess that's what so. it means. Or if that's all you're willing to risk because you, you want to just like try it out. But that's really all it means. That is not an expensive or an inexpensive stock. It's just a share price. Right, exactly. At 20 bucks, it could be the most expensive stock on the market. Or it could be junk. Who knows? You never know. So Jeff did ask two very thoughtful questions in addition to sharing that, which I thought uh, was funny and at least wanted to, to address it. Um, let's go through these one by one. Uh, because I think that these are helpful, and uh, we always love when when listeners write in and uh, have some ideas for us to to talk about. So this is great. So Jeff's first question is really about the best way to handle an inheritance, and he points out that his mother is alive and well, uh, but that she is likely going to leave a financial legacy for her family, and that on the receiving end of that, how should that be handled to best? Uh, I think respect and honor the gift while also benefiting from the gift. And and uh, this is for somebody that has created a trust or has handled their affairs and has done proper estate planning to, to kind of smoothly transition. So we're not necessarily talking about the mechanics of how to transition a an estate, but more so, I think probably the emotional side and the purpose side, and the intent side of what do you do with that money to, to carry forward? Dan, what do you think when, when you hear that? How do you tend to treat an inheritance situation in plans that you're working on? That's such a tough question. I think to a large extent, I think about it in the same way that we talked about getting a raise or a windfall through work, where you should give yourself permission to take a portion of that and, for lack of a better word, treat yourself, right? I think it, it's fine unless there was a very specific purpose for that gift to kind of do something for yourself that you can enjoy and benefit from today. And then for the remainder of it, kind of look towards the future and make sure that gift can can provide for you going forward, whether that be for retirement or for another long-term purpose. But kind of looking at it almost like a barbell and saying, all right, let me do something today to enjoy it and you know honor this gift that was given to me, but also separate a portion of it out for the long run. I like that methodology. You know, the, the first thing I would say is you don't have to move quickly uh, if you've inherited money in most cases. Um, you know, if you assume that that money is invested, whether it's in cash, whether it's in property, in real estate, whatever is being inherited, you know, you you can take time to to grieve and, and to process, right? So so we're, we're talking about a situation where you're likely dealing with, with emotional loss in, in a pretty big way. Um, so definitely don't rush. Second of all, from a mechanics perspective, anything that is appreciated in those accounts is likely getting a step up in basis. Uh, and I, I point that out because I've seen several situations where people have inherited a stock portfolio or some set of assets and they get really emotionally tied to the actual companies that mom or dad or grandma held right and and we end up seeing people just refuse to to unload those things whether those are continuing to be high conviction ideas or not but and and sometimes it's as deep as well they worked for that company they worked for you know that company for 35 years and ended up with a bunch of the stock and the company was always good to them 
again, it you know I, I get where those emotions come from because this is emotionally charged money, uh, especially if it's going to remain in separate accounts and you're kind of looking at it as the inheritance account. Uh, but I would caution people on that, that, you know, applying your own investment philosophy, whether that means just adding diversification and things like index funds, whether that means converting some of those assets into your existing investment portfolio and how you handle things moving forward. I think that that's important uh, because ultimately you can you can hang on to a laggard of a company for decades if you choose not to do your own due diligence on it. Um, and so that's one of the pitfalls that that I've seen people fall into where they end up really, really stuck with the actual assets themselves because of the way that they received the funds. And to some extent, I think keeping the money separate might be a harmful thing to do because you are not going to treat it the same way as you would your own money. You might always be looking at it and saying, all right, this is something I need to think about differently than I would my own resources. And I'm not sure that should change your decision-making process. You know, if you have debts, you should pay off because it's the right thing to do just because something was inherited and you're looking at that static value in a separate account doesn't mean you shouldn't touch it to, you know, to improve your situation if it's available to you for that purpose. Yeah. Now that is not the case if it's something like an inherited IRA where, where legally the structure needs to remain separate. So definitely treat that as a separate account if, if you're receiving IRA assets um, or something where the structure is important. But if it is a taxable transfer or kind of directly into your name, um, I tend to agree. Now, you know, I think there's several things that you could do here that would be respectful and honoring somebody's memory. I think doing some giving with some of those funds, if you're in a position to do so. Uh, we've talked about donor advised funds. That's a nice way to set up kind of an ongoing giving account. So uh, creating a donor advised fund, and yet they can even be named uh, as part of that, right? It can be the uh, this person's legacy uh, donor advised fund account. Um, so I think there's there are lots of ways that you can ultimately add some purpose back into it. Um, Dan, let me ask you this. Do you think about combining the assets and then, so I'm, I'm going to make a bunch of leaps here, but for a married couple, when one spouse is inheriting money from their side, if there's an inequity there in terms of family wealth, would you treat that differently or would you want to see it become kind of a family asset? Because I do think that can be sensitive as well in terms of mixing those, those buckets. Another tough, nuanced question, Ross, but I think in general, treating it as a family asset is my preference. Now, there are a lot of circumstances that could change that answer. Uh, for example, mixed families, if, if you come to a family with kids of your own and you want to make sure that they are given the benefit of that gift if something unexpected were to happen, you know, there are reasons you might set up structures that didn't just dump it into a common bucket. But absent any of those complexities or personal things you have going on, I think treating those funds, you know, as a household asset is often the most valuable way to go. Ultimately, when we think about the sustainability of this type of thing, like any windfall, really, um, what we're really talking about is a safe withdrawal rate at the end of the day. And if you're going to lean on an asset like this for current income and Again, there, there's so many assumptions that get baked into this, but if you're talking about a younger person inheriting money, um, and let younger person, let's say, 
you know, mid fifties or, or below where you're expecting 30 plus years of needing the asset to last, right? You know, 4% or even a sub 4% withdrawal rate on an annual basis is probably sustainable, right? If you go 3%, you could do that with just dividends in, in most scenarios. So, um, you know, you could put together an income portfolio where you never tap into principal. If you're doing that over the long term, the likelihood is the portfolio will continue to grow and get bigger over time. And and so that may be what you want if you want it to be super duper sustainable uh, and really become a legacy account. You can choose to simply live on the income and let the principal remain as the legacy asset. That would be one way to treat it, incorporating it and simply using kind of a four to four and a half percent withdrawal rate, which is maybe where we would be comfortable for somebody that is retirement age and beyond, that would be very comfortable and still likely not to draw through the assets. So so it's really a safe withdrawal rate question mixed with how do you want to treat the asset and what, what should its purpose in your life be? Now, having received a gift, if you're in that situation and planning for it, I think these are very productive conversations to have. One thing I will caution is that oftentimes when we're doing financial plans, people choose to leave out expected inheritance just to make sure that you're planning for a successful financial future on your own merit because nothing is a given in life. So, you know, I don't think it's helpful to just ignore the potential that something can happen, uh, but to plan and be prepared for not receiving something is, is the way to go. So, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bake those inherited gifts into your future retirement income projections unless it's basically a done deal. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And that's probably the most common sentiment I hear from people when we talk about is there family wealth or expected inheritance? And they say, yes, there's likely to be something, but I don't want to count on it. And I I, I appreciate that mentality because it's one that I share uh, that, you know, I would like to make my own way. And, and if ultimately I inherit some money uh, someday, I will uh, appreciate it and, and try to be respectful and, and honor it. But it's not uh, part of my plan, and if it never happened, then um, then that would be fine because I I want my parents and my family to enjoy whatever they've created and and have saved. So um, or or if there's medical needs, I want them to use their resources for their own happiness. So in my mind, that is very much um, a secondary thing. It, I I don't plan for it. I don't project for it. Um, you know, and taking that out of the assumptions is, is important to me. So I, I very much get when people approach it from that that framework as well. All right, so let's jump to Jeff's second question, because I think this one is thoughtful as well. He says, I've read up and listened to podcasts, including yours, on UTMA and UGMA. Those are uniform transfers to minors accounts and uniform gifts to minors accounts. Assuming I have a 529, I'm struggling to understand why I shouldn't just have an individual brokerage account held separately for my children. I know I can't transfer it to them, or maybe I can with tax consequences, uh, but it seems like having the ability to control it for a little longer than their 18th or 21st birthday would be beneficial. It would still be used in whatever ways they would want, but holding it in a brokerage would buy me more time to develop and ensure financial literacy and responsibility. I'd love to hear your more detailed thoughts on the topic. I like that thought a lot. I mean, they're, as always, give and takes to the strategy, but 18 or 21 is a very young age to potentially inherit, or not inherit, but receive a substantial gift. You know, I think back to who I was at age 18, and though I like to think I was fairly 
responsible, but you know, I would have probably bought a cool guitar and, you know, maybe upgraded my vehicle. Maybe you, know, you I did, know. Dan. I, I see that guitar in your background. I know. You'll see it changing every week, probably. But, you know, not every person is who they should be and, and disciplined enough to handle a large gift at 18 or 21, especially if there are no more strings attached. So if you want to mitigate against the risk of someone doing something you would disapprove of with an asset, Maintaining it in an account that you still have control over is definitely the best way to go for that explicit reason. Now, there are some disadvantages to that almost in a, in a sense. So the first is your own personal habits, and perhaps you decide to raid the account, which isn't something you would want to do, but you have the ability to do it if you keep it in, um, in your own name. The other thing that's kind of hit my radar more recently that I honestly haven't thought a lot about until lately is uh, almost like tax arbitrage with the kitty tax rates. Uh, is that something you've thought about at all, Ross? Well, I thought about it in, in pondering this question, really, because you've got a small window of taxes that you can realize at the child's tax rate. It's not a lot. Uh, and then you're immediately moving to the parent's rate shortly after that. Uh, and so I think it depends on the size of the gift. I mean, if we're talking about a few thousand dollars, then yeah, the kitty tax rate is great because you're you're likely not pushing into heavy duty areas. I actually think if you're under that, that's a if you're going to remain under the threshold that you're going to pay taxes on the child's tax rate, it actually makes sense to harvest gains, right? We hear so much talk about harvesting losses. We've talked about harvesting gains before, but if you're in a zero percent tax rate situation, and you've got gains, I think it actually makes sense to, to churn them uh, and continually harvest those gains in a kitty tax-centered account before it's going to get into the, the parent's tax rate. Um, so I think that that's an interesting strategy if it's in the child's name. And, and we have a window. It's $2,300, I believe, in 2022 of unearned income before you get into the parent's marginal tax bracket. Right. And so half of that is at zero and half of that is at 10%, right? I believe that's correct. Correct. Okay. So so um so yeah, if if you've got less than $2300 of gains, I think it probably makes sense to routinely harvest in a custodial account. Um again, and, with the with the understanding that it's their asset once they reach whatever the age of majority is. Correct. But but once it's in that account, you know, you've got no reason not to do that where you're not going to have that opportunity in the parents account. So that would be a reason to favor the UTMA or the UGMA over just keeping it in, keeping it in your own brokerage account because you don't get that window for yourself. Now, again, you're giving up a lot of control for that option. Uh, other things, and this is probably a more fringe example, uh, but for people in highly uh, litigious professions, Putting it in the UGMA or UTMA is likely that's going to get it out of the parent's name, and it is no longer the parent's asset. Um, and and so if you were being sued and you need to put together an accounting of what assets are available, it's not going to make the list. Um, so I do think that there's and sim that's similar to how we think about ERISA protection in a four hundred one k, right? So there's several buckets that you can think of that are a little bit more secure from a creditor. Uh, if if they were, were high risks of bankruptcy, high high risk profession things that you're doing that that could put you in that position. Other than that, uh, I I don't mind at all somebody that's choosing 
to hold that asset in their own name. Ultimately, if you've got gains in the account and you transfer, right? If you if you gift the money to your kids later, so what's happening? Number one is you're going to use some of the gift tax exemption each year, which is $15,000 that you can gift freely per spouse. So husband and wife, it's a joint brokerage account. You can give your kid up to $30,000 without filing a gift tax return. If you go in excess of that each year that you do it, you're going to have to file the gift tax return. Again, that doesn't mean taxes are due, but it means you need to file the return. It's additional administrative headaches and paperwork. So the scope and the size of the gifting that you're planning on doing and how much access you want to provide for them to have, that matters. And from a tax perspective as well, if you're giving them the asset, there's also not necessarily a tax consequence to you, but they are receiving the gift at your basis. So unlike someone passing away and you getting a step up where you basically don't pay taxes on all the gains to that point, they will owe taxes upon the sale of the asset on whatever gains there were from when you initiated the position. So you are transferring a tax burden to them as well as an asset. Uh, Still, I don't think anyone would would turn that away, but just so we're all on the same page. Yeah. And I I think that kind of ties together the first two questions because you see this, and this is a very common uh, mistake in, in my opinion, which is uh, somebody near the end of, of life may start gifting assets to their kids and using appreciated stock to do it, which is very commonly a bad choice because you would get a step up if they were to pass and, and inherit those assets. That's going to eliminate the tax problem where if you gift the appreciated asset, you're going to owe taxes on the appreciated asset because you're, you're getting the same basis. So uh, if you're using it as kind of an end-of-life strategy, that's generally a mistake. If you're using it with a younger child that is likely going to be in a pretty low income tax bracket for a while, that's that might be fine, right? You might be very comfortable sending them that ultimate tax burden that they're going to deal with. So you kind of have to pick and choose what you're balancing here and what you're going to control for, which is why it becomes such a, such a personal decision. But I, I love the question. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff and really... Um, pretty nuanced stuff that we're getting into here. Hopefully, we haven't lost all of our listeners by this point in the show. Hopefully not. But to the both of you, we appreciate you. Yeah, yeah. To whoever's left, we're now doing a one-on-one session just for for Jeff on on the end of our show. Uh, in any case, I really appreciate the questions. Jeff's been a listener for a while. He's already got his check your balances mug, but we very much appreciate him writing in. I think these are are thoughtful things for us to talk about. Uh, if you've got questions of your own. Check your balances at Outlook.com is the email address for us. We'd love to hear from you. What's on your mind, what you want Dan and I to get into, whether that's personal financial planning, investing, or business. Dan, any parting words of wisdom for our folks this week? Don't go into the mosh pit at Metallica. Those are my parting words. There you go. That sounds like wise, wise advice as well. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We will catch you next week on another episode of Check Your Balances. Check your balances.